Hello, this is Angelica Yingst, and you're listening to Centered, grounded conversations about the metaphysical. Today's conversation is with my friend, the Reverend Howard West. Howard is an ordained Presbyterian minister with a Master's of Divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary. He specializes in geriatric spiritual care, dementia, end-of-life care, and caregiver support. He has served for more than 15 years as Executive Director of Spiritual Life Services at Country Meadows Retirement Communities. Howard is also a trained counselor with a master's degree in counseling from the University of Pittsburgh, with almost three decades of experience collaborating with self-help groups that address family and relationship problems, addiction and codependency, depression, and mental health issues. Howard has a BA in East Asia Studies from Penn State University and is fluent in Mandarin Chinese and is a daily practitioner of Chinese martial arts, including Tai Chi. He also has a long-term interest in Eastern spirituality and its impact on physical, emotional, and spiritual health. When Howard and I met, his first question to me is, are you a shaman? Which made me laugh and opened up a conversation that has continued for the last six years we became fast friends and our spiritual connection runs really deep and it always coalesces in really interesting conversations about spirituality and religion. And we talk a lot about trauma and emotional sobriety and the work that we each do individually that seems to have a lot of overlap. Um, We especially talk about the ways uh, spirituality and religion are sometimes in conflict and sometimes are harmonized. That was why we got together to have this conversation that you're going to hear today. But as you'll notice, we never really stay on a topic, which is great. (laughs) That's one of the great parts about talking to Howard. I consider Howard to be one of the most important, if not the most important spiritual advisor that I have, and he's a great influence, and he's a good friend. We've birded together, and Howard has an uncanny ability to be observant and aware in nature. I've, I've never seen anything like it. He's an avid outdoorsman, a nature photographer. His connection to the earth and to all living beings is profound and humbling. Very honored to have him be on the show this week. And this hopefully will be one of many conversations I have with um, him. So here's my conversation with Reverend Howard West. Well, I'm I'm glad to have you here and to talk about spirituality Mm -hmm. versus religiosity. And I think we've talked about it so much on our own. It feels Mm -hmm. a little funny to do it on recording. I'm I'm really happy we're doing this because I think a lot of people are struggling with this but they don't have the venue or the vocabulary to talk about it. So I'm hoping that as we have our discussion today, it's going to help people be able to conceptualize maybe what they're struggling with and give them vocabulary and ideas to be able to continue to process that in their own life. Yeah. And, you know, one of the interesting things is we became pretty fast friends. Mm-hmm. Um kind of recognizing, you know, you as a minister (laughs) and you identified me immediately in my undercover shaman outfit. (laughs) I know you didn't even tell me. I could just feel the vibe. You asked me, are you a shaman? 
Um, it was really interesting for me because I, I thought, wow, that's the first Christian minister said to me, I know what that is. There seems to be an uh, idea that what I do for a living is devoid from spirituality when it's completely enmeshed in it. So I like that. I like that we share spirituality. Mm -hmm. Well, it's probably because I went into the ministry in my early 40s. I'm, I'm 61 now. And I already had had a very full life travel, lived in Taiwan. And you know, as you know, I speak Chinese and studied martial arts for 30 some years. So I was always very multicultural. So I'm glad I had that before, you know, I signed on to the USS Christianity so that, you know, <laughs> I had those skills there and didn't have to look through one lens that they were handing me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's an, a lens that is very misunderstood and yeah. misrepresented. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the difference between spirituality and religiosity or religiousness. Or, yep. Because I feel like in my practice, I see a lot of people who are recovering from religion. Mm -hmm. And I hate to say it that way. They'll literally introduce themselves. I'm a recovering Catholic. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about what you think about that. Well, I think it's very common. And, um, you know, my current role, I'm the director of spiritual life for Country Meadows Retirement Communities. And the average age of our residents about 85. And then, you know, I also do work with a lot of our coworkers. I oversee, we have about a dozen chaplains at our 12 facilities. And what I found out is a lot of these older adults actually have the same issues. They have grown up with some very twisted and ill-informed ideas about what Christian theology is and about what the church is. Um, yeah, and... I, I don't want to just beat up on the Catholics because it's really, a, it, there's, there's the fundamentalist end, mm -hmm. which is the super conservative people. And as they get older, they realize the world's a lot more complicated than they were told as fundamentalists, you know, and, and that falls apart. Then you have the Catholics, you know. I, this more, is my background. That's your background. Yeah. You're recovering. And uh, we're all recovering, I guess. I often that. don't, I don't think of it that way though. I, I mean, it gave me a, I feel like, if anything, Catholicism is very close to paganism. Yeah. I mean, we we kind of venerate saints, and, you know, my connection with Mary is very deep and mm -hmm. old mm -hmm. and feels goddess-like almost. Well, maybe we should propose a new term like evolving. Yes, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I used to call myself a Cthutist, like a Buddhist, Catholic Buddhist. <laughs> But there used to be like a, a part of Christianity that was based on meditation. There was, that was a big part of what was taught as yeah, a Christian. Yeah, that's an know? important point. After about the first 300 years, as the institutional church began to form, there was a whole strand, as you know, of mystics or contemplatives that are referred to as the desert fathers and mothers that mm -hmm. formed communities in the Middle East and focused on contemplative spirituality and mysticism. And a lot of that history was suppressed and forgotten throughout most of the history of the church. And I was just thinking as you were starting the introduction, you know, if we went back to the 1970s and you use the term spirituality, I think most Americans would just give you a blank stare and think, yeah. you know, what is that, right? Yeah. And in more recent years, it seems like it's, I mean, I know in some of the studies, 
that I've seen from the Pew Institute, um, there's a lot of younger people that are even using that term, right? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. mean, when I went to, I went to university for comparative religion. I remember learning in one of my religion classes that the United States was the most religious country in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, we had 92% of people mm -hmm. who considered themselves religious. That has gone down significantly. Mm -hmm. since, and that's, you know, 20 years ago. So yeah. it's gone down a lot. But I don't know. I think it's because there used to be room, a little more room to question and still consider yourself a Christian. Mm -hmm. um, now it seems like if you're questioning, people are already, they're kind of, jettisoning themselves out mm -hmm. of, <laughs> of Christianity. Well, some of it is a reporting error. If you go to the, I think it's the Pew Institute or whatever that does all these surveys and studies mm -hmm. on religion. And I looked at some of the stuff over the last two years as I was preparing some trainings and that number is dropping. Uh, they identified a few reasons um, and some outcomes. One is that being a church person was considered such a social norm people were erroneously self-reporting that they were church people when they really weren't. So the number was an overestimate. And then the other thing is when they went in and did more surveys, they found out a lot of the people that said that they were church people don't go to church. And, oh, what a coincidence. It really comes down to maybe only a third of them are really regular attendees. And there's a correlation there between ideologies and politics and some other things too. Because yeah. that number... 38% seems to keep coming up in the news lately. And yeah. it was one of those kind of things. So I think people aren't afraid to say, yeah, you know, I can I, what the conclusion was is Americans have a higher percentage of people that claim to believe in God. Yeah. But the actual religious part is lower than had been originally reported. Yeah. That's interesting too. When you look at the surveys, like Catholics in the United States, don't use birth control any less mm -hmm. than everybody else, non-Catholics like. So the idea is just, you know, hey, we have this doctrinal teaching, but we don't take everything. We're not 100% following the doctrine. And I feel like because politics have got, has gotten so mixed up with the church and with doctrine, people are starting to say, well, actually, I can't because the politics are so different than what I believe. Mm -hmm. um, whereas probably spiritually, <laughs> they still feel pretty connected to the church and mm -hmm. to their, to the religion mm -hmm. in that way. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, there's always that tension there between an institution or a doctrinal uh, force that's trying to control people. Yeah. And, and that's one of the differences between religion and spirituality is, is religion tends to be institutions or entities that are trying to maintain or control certain thoughts or behaviors. Yeah. And then spirituality, of course, is more individualized. So I think as people, all of us, we, we live with that tension. We're striving to have our own individual spirituality. But I do believe, you know, we need structure too. And, you know, one of my favorite uh, Catholic writers is... Uh, He's the guy that was the uh, frequent guest priest with uh, Stephen Colbert. Mm -hmm. He's a Jesuit priest. I can't think of his name right now, but uh, he's from the Philadelphia area. But he, one of his Twitter posts was, 
but we stop, we have to stop arguing, are you religious or are you spiritual? You're, you're, you could be both. They're not opposed. Yes. Right. And, and that's unfortunately, I think, a false uh, choice that people on either extreme of the spectrum uh, paint this is it's either or, but it's, it's really, it's a blend. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the, you know, we do miss a lot when we're not involved in a church community or in a community, a spiritual community, which is community, you know, not having that whole structure to support you when you're going through change and when you're going through upheaval and, you know, and not being able to support others you know, mm. when we're, we're alone, we're on a raft by ourselves. It's, it's intimidating and scary in the world. Yeah, and that's a real big American problem because we're such an individualistic culture. Yeah, and and that isn't the right or a left thing. It happens on all ends of the spectrum. Yeah, that uh, and the problem with that is is if you become too individualistic with your spirituality, you know you're missing thousands of years of writings and experience, and even more importantly, we talked about this. You're missing community. Yeah, yeah, because that is the one thread that I think connects a lot of spirituality. It has to be done in community. It can't be done totally by your, and even with those desert fathers and mothers, one of the misconceptions that I've read about is everyone thought of contemplatives and mystics as people that just, you know, they think of maybe someone, um, you know, living out in the woods in a shack or in the desert, that they were part of communities that, yeah. that, that did things to help the poor and, and people in the community. Yeah. 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 I think that's why spirituality like I practice and shamanic spirituality and some of these earth-based spiritualities are becoming really popular. It's because they're also community-based. We have a lot of, you know, festivals and mm -hmm. gatherings and circles mm -hmm. and there is a kind of structure to them, especially if you're learning yeah, and Mother Mother Earth is not a Democrat or a Republican. No. You have to worry about that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a, it's an interesting thing because I was kind of wondering, like, when did the church get so far away from nature? You know, uh -huh. because it seemed like I just think of Francis of Assisi and some of the mystics, the Christian saints and mystics that were connected to the earth and to nature, and it seems like there's more of a focus on mm -hmm. the institution that seems disconnected. And then the politics of climate change and things have made it that churches are preaching oh. anti-climate change and churches just make sense to me. It's, I kind of, yeah, I don't know where that really started. I mean, there might be roots, you know, um, one of my favorite writers is Leslie Newbigin. He was a missiologist, Bishop yeah. of South India, lived in the 20th century. And, you know, he has this famous quote that, Neoplatonic thinking is the oxygen that is, was keeping Western Christianity alive. And uh, you're the one with the religion degree. You can explain Neoplatonic thinking, but bas bas basically it's... <laughs> That's it's, old stuff. It's very moldy yeah, okay, back well, there. Basically, it, it's, it's a little bit... This is an oversimplification, but we only have so much time yeah. here to talk about. Basically, one of the tenets of Neoplatonic thinking is that matter or physical things here on earth are at sort of a lower yeah. level and that there's this higher spiritual realm of essence or whatever that we're trying to ascend to that. Yeah. And, and unfortunately that creates a dualism can lead to a dualism that minimizes and devalues 
the physical world right. that we live in, yeah. right? And everyone's yeah. trying to, you know, get to that higher level. We see it with conservative evangelicals that believe in the rapture. You know, there's going to be this great apocalypsis and all those people that are saved are going to get beamed up to the mothership and, you know, yeah. the heck with the rest of you. So I think we have that that goes back. And then, of course, we have the whole, then on top of that, right, we have the, the enlightenment and, uh, you know, I think nature was seen as an object to be studied yes, and mastered exactly. and yeah. analyzed. And then on top of that, we had the industrial revolution, yeah. right? Where nature is just, you know, it's to just to be used and exploited for, for industry. Yeah. And you know, what's really sad is, you know, I love uh, Pope Francis. I know he's actually, I mean, it's been a few years since he made his proclamation to say, like, if you're not taking care of the earth, you're not being a good Christian, which score one on the catholic side i think that's awesome yeah what was it? Laudate, i like him though i think it's laudate c i think is the name of it i didn't study latin so yeah. but uh but he's 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 kind of i get really sad when i hear some of my catholic friends trashing him because he's kind of the best of both worlds he of Catholicism. Is, yeah. he's a jesuit which means he's a contemplative mm -hmm. right yeah but he's ch chosen francis as his name, of course, we think of Francis and the nature and the yeah. environment and the poor, and he's a wonderful blend. He yeah. is, and I like, I mean, you know, I've always been for liberation theology. He has a social justice bent to him that the guy before did not, what was his name? Domin no, not, uh, Benedict. Benedict. Benedict the 16th. Ooh, he was, he was dark, <laughs> dark energy. He just seemed like an old authority. In the Tarot, we have this card called the Hierophant, and it's like the, the, the Pope, you know, sitting in front, and there's people bowing down in front of him, and he just seemed like the old school. Oh, he was. He, yeah. he was the, the thought police. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I think that's what's happened, and, and I, you know, Angie, you also know, too, you know, I'm a big bird watcher and outdoor yeah. guy, and I've always loved nature, and that was one of the things I was always frustrated with, you know, with the church stuff, is you're right, there's hardly anything in there about the environment or nature i mean some more progressive churches have like the blessing of the animal ceremonies yeah um but it is a gap mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i kind of remember someone arguing with me when i was a vegetarian i mean i'm still a vegetarian but i had years of eating meat and they kind of said something like oh well in the bible it says that the animals are here for us to consume they're here for us to use and I was like, yeah, well, you can find other, <laughs> you can find anything to That's justify right. anything. But it kind of made me think like this idea of hierarchy, you know, like humans are here to consume everything on earth, you know, instead of living as equals and we're stewards and, and part of the environment. And that's part of the spirituality that I have is that, you know, if we believe that the hawk appears at the right time for us to get a message from hawk and hawk medicine then we're also the medicine for the hawk you know mm -hmm. so that's why we're not capturing the hawk and and keeping it trapped for our medicine it's mm -hmm. we're also the medicine for it and humans are part and integrally part of nature mm -hmm. and if we pretend like we're not then we're just gonna destroy the earth <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i mean a great example is how you know we're using all these toxic pesticides and killing the bees and yeah we're not going to have anything to pollinate our crops and then that's yeah. going to affect our food supply 
and here, here again, it's interesting. I, you know, I never expected to see this in my lifetime where, you know, science is leading the way with rediscovering all these natural uh, orders that have been there that some of the traditional religions have never let go of. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, the synchronicities and the... Full circle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, you know, we use a lot of metaphor in shamanic work, you know, we're kind of connected to the dream worlds and uh, mm -hmm. going into an altered state, not usually with drugs, but with meditation and prayer, going into altered states to get information through the shamanic journey world. And it's kind of connecting with God and that's how, how we mm -hmm. see it. Now, most people, if they're involved in shamanic journey, they, they don't necessarily say God, they'll say spirit, they'll say mm -hmm. great spirit, they'll say, the guides or yeah but it really for me is god you know it's all that mm -hmm. is that we can't explain and there i mean the mystical traditions in christianity is deep mm -hmm. <laughs> there's mm -hmm. lots of mysticism but it doesn't seem as prevalent now you know we're not consulting dream <laughs> dream makers you know and and figuring out the signs it's it's yeah. both good and bad right it's because well i don't want to go on too long but i mean one of the things I find in my community, which is disturbing, is there are a lot of people who are, you know, they take a class, they call themselves a shaman, they go out there, they're not trauma informed, they're not informed on how to hold space for other people. They use their ego and that kind of darkness to interpret signs for people that are really ego based and, and mm -hmm. selfish. Like, Oh, you know, the cards say you should probably take this $300 class that I have offering uh -huh. right now, you know, and it feels like the same exploitation that has happened with mm -hmm. organized religion for some people, not all organized religion and not all times, but, you know, I kind of see it as not being trauma informed, not being, I don't know, connected, so to speak. Yeah, I think those are just human weaknesses that traps that everyone can fall into whether you're a shaman or a minister yeah. or a martial arts teacher or anything and you know we were talking you know yesterday about topics and this would be a good time to bring up the whole thing of ego yeah. and group ego right well i mm -hmm. mean what we're talking about here is people who subordinate their service to others or their their work to their own ego needs yeah and if they're not doing work we, if we are not doing work on ourselves, you know, I have someone I talk with, you have someone you talk with, yeah. we talk to each other, then you have all, we have all these blind spots where the ego creeps in and it, and it creates an unethical practice where we're subordinating the client or the, the student's well-being to our own needs. Yeah. Very common. Actually, I went to a professional boundaries training in my presbytery. I'm a Presbyterian minister. And that basically the two the two main themes of the whole training is you need to look at your own stuff. And if you don't, your own stuff is going to make you do unethical things to the people you're responsible for. Absolutely. Real basic. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I go to a therapist. I've been going to therapy for six years. Do I need therapy? <laughs> Probably not, but I, I do need it to check in. I need to keep my boundaries in check. I need to keep my ego in check. I need to make sure that I'm living in accordance to my values, which is to do my own work and not bring it into session with my client, not to transfer 
feelings, not to project my feelings onto my clients and just to be able to hold space mm -hmm. for them in a neutral place means that I have to look at everything, you know, mm -hmm. if I like a client too much, <laughs> I have to look at that. If I don't like them, I have to look at that, you know, and both of those things are important for me. Yeah. There's another loaded word therapy. And, you know, uh, yeah. the guy I'm working with, he does sort of professional coaching for professionals and medical folks. And um, is it therapy? It's therapeutic. Yeah. But I'm, I'm kind of, well, I guess, you know, if you're in formation in some Catholic communities, you have like, uh, you have like a preceptor or docent or someone that's overseeing your formation. Yeah. Is that, let me ask you a question now. Is that sort of considered a universal standard for shamanism that you, you, you can be a shaman who has to, but have to be a shaman under another shaman so that there's some accountability or how does that work? I mean, that's the problem with our, with our work is that literally anybody can call themselves a shaman. Mm -hmm. In fact, most shamanic practitioners say we don't ever call ourselves shaman because that was something that was bestowed upon you upon not you didn't self-identify that was not something that people wanted to do mm -hmm. <laughs> you know you're usually identified as a seer and as a healer at a young age and and then you're removed from the community and you're kept outside of the community mm. so it was seen that you were different mm -hmm. and of course you're the first one punished when anything goes wrong in the community you're the one who brings healing you're supposed to be the elder and you study for many years so much like you know, I think we, we met some Buddhist monks last year who were talking about, when did you go to monastery? When I was five, you know, mm -hmm. he's 35. He's been in monastery for 30 years. He basically mm -hmm. has the equivalent of two PhDs in Buddhism, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so for people in my industry, in my community, you know, you, you get a lot of false prophets. You get a lot yeah. of people who identify and there isn't a hierarchy, you know, I, lean on my teachers a lot you know i kind of will go back to my teachers and ask them questions hey i'm having an ethical question would would i be able to talk to you about it? i'm having a healing question i have kind of like um my therapist says they do this for other therapists where you have kind of a communal of therapists and you talk about cases mm -hmm. on a very general basis i have my community of healers that mm -hmm. i go to hey, i've got this dilemma i'm working on somebody mm -hmm. they've got this issue i did this what do you think? Well, how would mm -hmm. you have approached it? What do you think about that? Well, we're like that with as friends. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then because we have two, we're from two different disciplines, it's really great because we can, we can have two different perspectives, but when we come up with a similar theme, yeah, then we know we're hitting the truth. Yeah. Like, you know. And we, I mean, that's the problem. We have no governing body. We have mm -hmm. no code of ethics that we have to sign. I offer a code of ethics to my clients. I, I have it written down where I say, this mm -hmm. is what I do. This is what I'm not going to do. And um, it's important, but yeah, it's, it's scary yeah. out there. Well, that's a big problem in a lot of these independent churches, you know, and I'm dealing with that right now. I, I don't want to get into details, but I'll talk about it generically as we have this pandemic going on now and we have certain like internationally acceptable public health guidelines to prevent people from dying of this thing. But we have these religious entities out there. I'm not going to pick on any because it's in all the religions that uh, 
they are not accountable to some type of a higher authority or they just decide what their own truth is. And if they don't yeah. like it, they just, you know, trash it. Yeah. And yeah, that's a big problem. I found that in the martial arts community too. Uh, people that tend to be lone wolf practitioners, mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of problems. There. Yeah. The ego mm -hmm. part is a hard one. Like that's like when people ask me, how do you know, what kind of healer do you go to or what kind of spiritual group is good? I was like, check the ego. That's mm -hmm. the first thing. Where's the humility? Are you feeling it? Are you sensing it? Trust your gut. Mm -hmm. Something feels off. Mm -hmm. It's the same with when you go to a church and you know, the priest is, or the, the ministers just talking about themselves the whole time. You kind of yep. go like, Oh gosh, okay. There's not humility. Yep. They're not using their own lessons in life to share. Like that should be a metaphor. It shouldn't be. Yeah, that's one of my pet peeves. Actually, they taught me that at seminary, that the mark of an immature preacher is he talks, he or she talks about themselves mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. And, yeah. We, you know, I, it's one of my pet peeves and, you know, making sure people are legit. And there's a lot of cultural appropriation that happens in my community because, you know, people find a culture that they're really resonant with and then they'll just offer ceremonies that were maybe supposed to be taught by elders or I'm just listening to a podcast called guru about the guy who was doing sweat lodge in Sedona and like three people died at sweat lodge because mm -hmm. he had them in 125 degree sweat lodge for two hours. And basically they boiled to death, you know, and he, he was not trained. He just was like, we're going to do a vision quest for three days. These people didn't drink or eat for three days. Then he brought them in. He gave them breakfast and then took them to a sweat lodge for three hours. So they were already dehydrated. They were not doing well. And it was, it's really interesting because he doesn't call himself a shaman, but his whole identity, his whole spirituality is empowering the ego to overcome human yeah, your discomfort, right? Mm -hmm. So it was like a very toxic masculine kind of, I hate to call it like a dick contest, but it was like, how long can mm -hmm. you stay in that kind of discomfort? This is what we're measuring, you know? And then he called it a sweat lodge, which is such a sacred ceremony. And that's not what it's about, you know? So is he, is he sweating it with the lawyers now? I think he's sweating <laughs> in prison, yeah. <laughs> But it, it's interesting. It's, it's, I love listening to podcasts. And then, yeah. of course, I'm relating it to my practice. Okay, where are you checking in, Ange? Are you making sure you're... Well, and you, you need... We've talked a lot about this. We need to know people who know us so well that if something's off, we can feel a shift in the mood or the yeah. energy and say, you know, you're just not... Act, something's off with you right now. What's going on? Yeah. Um, because sometimes, you know there is stuff bothering us and we can't see it, but we're projecting it through our nonverbal non behaviors and actions. Yeah. And we need people. My wife's really good at that, unfortunately, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> they always are. I know. Yeah. They always are. I have some really, I mean, I know some really ethical practitioners. I mean, I know yeah. people who have arguments and won't go see a client in the next 12 hours after an argument because they have to do the cleansing and the energetic work because they don't want to bring their shit in. Yeah. And I think that's where we are kind of mentioned being trauma informed, mm -hmm. you know, where that's really valuable is just to say, okay, I, 
I'm dealing with people who are coming in in a vulnerable place. Mm -hmm. They're asking me for help. You know, they're, even if they're in perfectly good health and they just want to tune up, <laughs> an energetic tune up, you know, it's still my duty to do my work before mm -hmm. I go in there and make sure I'm not doing more damage. It's like, do no harm. Um, yeah, so we, yeah, we can circle back to the original question, which is this whole thing about religion and trauma, religious abuse, and uh, people recovering from it. And, you know, I, you know, when I used to be a therapist, I'd always say, look, you know, let's save some time here. I'm not going to ask if you're from a dysfunctional family. Just tell me what type of a dysfunctional <laughs> family. Because there's two types of people in the world. People that admit they're from a dysfunctional family and everyone else that it's in denial. Yeah. And and I think we have all have some type of baggage associated with religion and, and spirituality, too, that we have to work on. Um, and I think each of us, because we have roles of spiritual authority, mm -hmm. right? I mean, when people come to you, they trust that when you tell them something that you know what you're talking about, the same thing with me. And, um, well, can I tell a story? Yes, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I so that. so I, I know someone who's uh, had a family member, a teenager that took his life. And uh, of course, there was a tremendous amount of survival guilt on the, on the mother of that young man. Mm -hmm. And the neighbor came over and said, you know, he's in hell right now. And I almost and, spit my water. Yeah, I know. And, no, and she's like, what? That. And he said, yeah, if you kill yourself, you're, you go to hell. So when I went to the funeral, my friend said, I really need you to talk to my sister. She's really tormented, you know. And I said, uh, she said, please tell me my son is not in hell. And I said, well, that is a erroneous doctrine that's been circulating around for years. Mm -hmm. uh, some people say the Catholic Church says it, but if you go into the Catholic Catechism, you'll find out it doesn't say that. It says that, that only God knows the pain and suffering that someone must endure to make a decision like that, but it also goes on to say that God can forgive everyone for the, the, the sins and the things that they do wrong, and you know, it doesn't mean you go right to hell. So I said, so that that's sort of an uh, intellectual explanation. I said, Let, let's get down to something more simple. And I said, so this this great authority of theology there, your neighbor, what does he do? She said, well, he's just a truck driver, and I think he's an alcoholic. I said, okay. And I said, well, I'm an ordained Presbyterian minister. I went to Princeton Seminary. Who do you want to listen to? <laughs> an alcoholic truck driver or a guy who's been trained to do this? And I said, you know, you're going to have a lot of guilt related to this trauma, which is going to be easily manipulated. And you have to make a decision of who you want to listen to. And that's, yeah. that's where our roles come in, you yeah. and me, yeah. is they need to be able, because when you've been abused and you've been traumatized, trust is hard. Yeah. And, and that's why it's so important that we stay ethical and consistent, because people aren't going to believe the, a truth unless they trust the person that's validating yeah. or telling them the truth. And, and I, I take that really seriously. Yeah. You know? Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I get a, I get a lot of people in my practice who, you know, I was going to church, but then they said this and I am that, you know, um, gay, drug addict, alcoholic, you know, whatever, pagan, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. And it's, it's, for me, I have to like give them permission to have a relationship with spirit again because they 
threw everything out. They threw the baby out with yeah. the bath water. And, you know, I often find people when they come to see someone like me and they do circles and they start exploring their spirituality again, it's like they often say, I feel like I'm coming home. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not that they're home in a church, but they end up finding a church mm-hmm. that fits them. They want more of it. They don't mm-hmm. want less. So I'm sometimes the gateway <laughs> to them mm-hmm. re right. discovering what their center is. And, um, yeah, that's the, uh, the spiritual family kind of concept. Yeah. And a lot of folks that have been victims of spiritual abuse because of the trust issues can't trust people enough to develop relationships where they can form a spiritual family. And I think a lot of our work is about helping them feel and take a chance. Mm -hmm. It can begin with a therapist or a shaman or a pastoral counselor. And then I've always said that, you know, a good therapist should start off by saying, this is a temporary solution to a permanent problem. If I do my job, you're going to develop and find natural sources of this healing in your community and in in your family of choice. And, and that's another ethical thing. I think there are a lot of therapists out there, like some other practitioners, that they want a dependency because it's a cash cow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think that. But the real good ones, I think, have enough demand for their services. They don't have to keep having the same people come back. And, yeah. You know. In the healing realms, we often say, okay, so if you can't, if this physical part of your body isn't healing, why? Like, what's the emotional, mental, spiritual illness behind it? And sometimes there is reason for that, you know, and we see it as a metaphor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're kind of hitting on one of the two great original sins of Western psychology is uh, it it tends to be ego driven. And the other is uh, a lot of Western psychology over the last hundred years, it it pathologizes everything. Yes, exactly. You know, it's like, you know, if all you have is a hammer, everything you see looks like a nail, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I mean, you you kind of hit on it when you were talking about enlightenment and that nature is to be studied mm-hmm. instead of experienced and lived. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of see medicine, like when we call it medicine in that term, is the mystery that runs through all things. The thread that connects all living things together mm-hmm. is means that the medicine's there for us and we can learn a great deal about being part of nature because once we disconnected from having, you know, we were all farmers or hunters or gatherers, we forget that, you know, in the summer, here we are sitting in a 68 degree home, you know, <laughs> it's not, it's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be hot. We're supposed to be outside experiencing mm-hmm. and doing because our, our crops would be coming up right now. We'd be tending to getting the critters out of them and um, saving meat for the winter, you know, we all those things are happening right now. If we were still trying to find our food out in nature, you know, so I go into the market. Yeah. Picking up on that theme about analyzing everything, you know, I think a big, a big contribution to theology and philosophy in the 20th century was Martin Buber. Yeah. You know, B-U-B-E-R and the whole thing of the I it versus the I thou. Yeah. And, and I, and I, uh, when I look at spirituality and people ask me for what spirituality, my, my latest definition, spirituality is just you connect with everyone and everything around you. You're mm-hmm. connected. You have a relationship with them, with it. And that's the I, thou. 
but I think a lot of Western uh, worldview in the last 500 years has been I, it. Yeah, yeah. Everything's an it. It's a thing for me to analyze, identify, name, manipulate, control. Yeah. And whereas the native spiritualities, it's I, thou. Nature is sacred. There's a relationship. It's a give and take, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of, you know, we were talking about, I think a lot of young people are looking for that I, thou, that relationship thing. Yeah, because, you know, it's really scary to be I. It's really scary to be alone in the world, you Mm -hmm. know, without an idea of a relationship or um, a connection to all that is and all that can be and all that has been, you know. When you're disconnected from your ancestors and you're disconnected, you know, from nature, you have, you're then in charge, you're God. That's totally scary. Well, another permutation that I hit are all those horrible as seen on TV products. That I, I, was, I, was, I was in Rite Aid the other day and I'm looking at, what is this crap, you know? Yeah. You know, and I was thinking, you know, I don't see any young people fishing around that part of the store. No. You know, you can sit, you know, how do you like to sit in your chair, do nothing and lose weight and knit a sweater or whatever, yeah. you know? And then I thought there's no as seen on as seen on Instagram, yeah. as seen, now they've got their own challenges, but it's this whole control thing. You can have it all, yeah. know, the materialism. And I'm just so curious to see where this next generation goes. With it's all so that. cool. I mean, you know, I have a 13 year old, so it's, it's so non-binary, not just in gender, but with everything, you know, they're just, they kind of get out of that black and white thinking. That to me is exciting and interesting. Yep. Yeah, and we need a spectrum. You know, there's, a, there's like you said, there's two poles and then there's a blend in the middle. Yeah. Um, my, my sons are older than your kids, and, you know, I've been wrestling more with what they see in their little spheres of social media. And the thing I worry about, I won't say what end of the spectrum it is, is that when people are anxious, they want a real oversimplified model to look at and say yeah that's the solution but you know it's funny you say i don't want to talk about one side but that happens on both sides it does it happens on both sides it happens on both sides it's just the pick brand a or brand b yeah but that's one of our human weaknesses is we don't want to live with the tension of saying this thing's really complicated we may not understand it for 20 years people want an answer now that's very american instant you know yeah yeah and then people fall into those traps and that that's how con men operate yeah. They oh, say, yeah. oh, you see this problem that's going to take 10 years to fix? I can fix it in two months, you know, yeah. for nineteen ninety nine. Just send your check to scam.com, right? Yeah. And that's a human weakness. Well, and, and this is, I think, a big part of our work, Angie, is that we, we, right, are trying to teach people to live in the tension. Right. Embrace the shadow <laughs> side. Yeah. You, no, the job is not get rid of it. It is to live with it and yep. work through it. And the tension is what creates the growth, not yeah. getting rid of it. Yeah, that's yeah. like, I was just doing a journey with Butterfly this month, you know, for my my people. And, you know, when I was describing the medicine of Butterfly, there's that whole experience. This man finds a cocoon, brings it home to watch it. And he's watching the butterfly emerge from the cocoon. And it's taking forever. You know, there's just this little hole and trying to poke through and poke through and he's been watching it for two hours still not out so he takes scissors and cuts the cocoon and the butterfly comes out with shriveled wings and a big bloated body and 
he thinks, okay, well, that'll get better. And it, it never does because the process of going through the little hole actually squeezes all the fluid from the body into the wings and the wings oh. can expand. So us helping the process or trying to circumvent the actual difficulty actually doesn't work. And yeah, you know, that's kind of what happened with Zachy. I was sitting there, he was being born and I'm like, God, please, this has to be a fast labor. I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> you know, I just want him to come out two pushes. He was out, but that wasn't long enough in the, in the canal to push all the fluid out of his lungs. So we ended up having fluid in his lungs and going into NICU. Yeah. We all need that struggle of pushing through the difficulty, not circumventing it, not spirit. I mean, that's what I get. I get really passionate about spiritual bypassing, you know, hard feelings like, Oh, just pray it away. If you don't focus on it, you won't create your reality of suffering. To me, that, completely ignores the actual work that needs to be done mm -hmm. spiritually you know which is sitting in this well don't you think that's one of the challenges with some of this younger generation is the parents that were the the helicopter moms or the snowplow yeah. parents is that they they were cutting holes in the cocoon yeah and not letting oh, yeah. the kids you know form through struggle so that they had better coping skills as they got out into the real world and, absolutely uh, absolutely well i guess we're all getting the test now huh yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i like that you were talking about it being the shadow versus the light because yeah. you know instead of thinking of this binary line graph it's probably more like a sphere mm -hmm. that connects you know mm -hmm. the far right and the far left connect on the shadow part of the moon you know what i mean like you yep. can see it going around and just kind of circling back because mm -hmm. well, the that, extreme that, right and extreme left look very similar well that yeah. that comes you know from my east asian studies background you know, i studied yeah. east asian studies and china studies at penn state and then been studying it for many years now is the whole yin and yang symbol yeah. is that the problem with Western philosophy since the Enlightenment, well, and it goes back even earlier, it's been there forever, is, is when you create a dualistic of black versus white, you can't bring the two together to form a balance. Yeah. And, and it's even worse right now because we have certain political groups and, and media institutions that they make their money by polarizing. Yeah. And the solution always is going to be an integration and dialogue. But yeah. I, I have a feeling that 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 may turn the corner in the next few years i think people are getting sick of this yeah and they but may want to start talking again that's the upheaval i think we're going through right now it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of in everything it's the upheaval against authority and this black and white thinking i mm -hmm. i think you know people are looking for places that have my spirituality and your spirituality mixed together you know mm -hmm. They want to have a connection and relationship with the spirit of nature and mm -hmm. also not completely ditch the religion that they grew up in. I mean, I had a student who was like a very conservative Jewish background and she had no problem uh, navigating both the spiritual realm and her Jewish traditions and, and religion. She was devout. So, you know, I, I think we can coexist together. We just need churches to get on board to say, hey, we're not, you and I are not opposed, you know, the mm -hmm. idea of, of us being on polar opposites is wrong. We're, we're the same. <laughs> we're, we're the ones in spirit, you know.
Well, this was fun. Thanks, Howie. <laughs> this this can't be the last time we do. It this. won't. It won't. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Centered with me, Angie Yinkst. If you'd like to send me a question or comment about this show or any shows, you can send them to angie at themoonandstone.com.